<laughs> Hello. So the um, Frankie Aero singing his song has like 36,000 views from our really? last podcast. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. We got to step it up. Yeah. <laughs> More music. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. We could do background vocals. Can you hear that fucking this. dumb drunk girl saying I look like Malcolm Gladwell like in the middle of the song? No, but that's amazing. Ugh. I was like, can we talk about this later? Can you insult me later? Um, speaking of uh, Jim Shears' little bit about Matt Gladwell, he was on the Grammy red carpet right next to Fuse. Uh-huh. Difference between Jim Shear and Jack Osborne. Jack Osborne, uh, not really great in between interviews, but, you know, according to Trish, like beyond nice and cool. Um, it's like, oh, here we have such and such. Let's talk to them. Great, you know. Um, Jim spies Dave Grohl at the end of the red carpet. Dave! <laughs> Dave, come here! And Trish was like, his publicist was so not having it, but Jim does not give a fuck. And he's like, Dave, come here, man! And just starts <laughs> screaming it. That's awesome. Did he come over? Yeah, he came over. That's rad. And he said he did it to fucking Neil Young. That's awesome. He's like, Neil, don't go anywhere. Neil, don't go anywhere. He's saying this to Neil Young. Because <laughs> they weren't live. And Trish went, hey, we're live. Neil, you want to come over? <laughs> and he walked over. And I was and I was texting her because I kept taking pictures. So because I live in a house with two <laughs> children, and I don't leave. <laughs> and I also have a pair of man Uggs that are not attractive. Uh, All right, who we got, Chris? Chris. Okay. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Going Off Track. My name is Jonah. I'm joined by Stephen and Brad. Hola. This sounds like NPR right now. Yeah, sorry. No, keep it going. I like it. Keep going. This will be the mood today. Okay. Today we're going to talk about foreign policy. Mm, And just kidding. Today we have on, (laughs) our guest is Chris, who you may know from the Lawrence Arms and Sundowner. God, it's like, if you're wondering why your band doesn't have a good name, it's because they took two of them. Yes. God. And not only are the names good, but the bands are good. Uh, Especially the Lawrence, well, both of them, but Lawrence Arms more importantly, have a record that came out the day we're taping this called Metropole. Dude, the first time I heard Lawrence Arms, it was one of those things of, okay, they're awesome. Then you're like, okay, cool. Then you hear another record. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, they're awesome. And their new record is extra awesome. And did you see the video they made? No. Seventeener? It's really funny. You should I, check it out. I think that it's, we're now in, you know, back in the frontier lands of videos because people just don't care. Yeah. So you can make something really, really cool. Yeah. Totally. Like, that, like that video Less Than Jake made where they just had a whole bunch of people like lip sync the song on their iPhones. It's really funny. Well, also, you know what it is? is it's the, the, the old thing about art is that the more restrictions you have, the more creative people are. So now, now that there's no... I mean, when you had unlimited budgets to make videos, that was mm-hmm. the apex of bad videos. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I want to tell you guys about my cell phone that I ordered. Please. Uh, this will be quick. I'll give you the short version. No, no, don't make it... I like stories like that. <laughs> Everything's broken on my phone. The top button, the home button, it's cracked. I've You've been using a like phone that you years. have to. You had to figure out how to make a home button. Yeah. So anyways, overdue. I found like a refurbished one on the AT&T site. Ordered it January 1st. Uh, supposed to come on the 4th. Um, it like disappeared for like 12 days in Texas. <laughs> and the AT&T was like... Call the post office in Texas. And I was like, nope. Like, sure, I'm sure the post office in Texas is going to be super helpful. <laughs> um, so they kept, like, giving me, like, free stuff because I kept saying I was going to quit. They, like, took care of my bill one month. They, like, gave me free texting, all this stuff. So the phone finally comes, like, three days ago, like, three weeks late. And it came in a box 
that looked like it was from Al-Qaeda and it was going to have like a VHS tape of Osama bin Laden in it. <laughs> like it was beat up, opened, retaped. And I was like, I showed it to my roommate. I was like, there's no fucking, it had a sticker on the front, like lithium ion battery. I was like, there's <laughs> no fucking way there's a phone in this box. <laughs> like this box is passed. And like the tracking info was like four pages long. Like it went through all these towns in Texas Did and in New York. Did you take a picture of it? I took, yes, I took a bunch of pictures, opened it up and all the paperwork's there, but no phone. <laughs> Like, of course. <laughs> so I called them. We got it worked out. Uh, I mean, it worked out in a sense. Like, they were like, just buy a phone, basically, and we'll refund the money. But, uh, yeah, just... You need to buy a fucking satellite phone that you can talk like. You can like, If you went to Australia tomorrow, you could use. Be like, hey, I bought a phone. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, and... I'm going to the moon. <laughs> oh, wait. The moon, I mean, like, next door, because I don't have coverage, because it's AT&T. Yeah, I mean, my my beef is not with even with their coverage. It's with like just like <laughs> getting me this thing. And I and uh, I've talked to a lot of people over there. Super nice. I, of course, that happened. Yeah, See, of the course. Funny, the funny thing would have been if you'd actually gone and pursued the Texas United States Postal Service. I know. I thought about it, and they had been really, really nice. <laughs> well, no, I mean, as opposed well, to like the people we deal with here in New York, you know. <laughs> It would have just been like. See, I imagine you calling the Texas Postal Service, and I literally imagine you know you just hear like a gunfight in the background, <laughs> six guns, high noon, ranging. Yeah, I'm sure they're gonna be worried about like some Jew in Brooklyn who can't find his new iPhone. Oh yeah, we'll get you. A phone. Oh yeah, we gotta get this boy a phone. Yeah, I'm sure they're very concerned. His me phone has been lost. No, it's an iPhone, sir. Exactly, your phone. But, yeah, so that was it actually worked out okay. I think I ended up. Actually, it was cheaper for me to buy a new phone. With by the time I got all this free stuff, they were like trying to apologize. No, you with. you beat them down. You beat the system. It works. Yeah, and the secret is the post office is fucking horrible. <laughs> and <laughs> it's not a secret. Everyone knows that. <laughs> and the AT and T had to worry about that. But yeah, the post office to me is um whatever is is just a giant like, waste of time where stamps it's, cost it's, more money. It's like any kind of government run thing where it's like there's just like no one cares and everyone's mad and there's no incentive for customer service like the fucking tsa the you, the the postal service will make you go libertarian so the tsa yeah that that is a that that's a giant waste of time that's a complete and utter waste 100%. of time it's it's it, and the fact now that you can do um uh our, our guest kevin kasatsu when he was here where you can pay extra money and just give them all your information and just walk through yep because you know they're gonna lose it <laughs> if they were, if the TSA was smart, if 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 we really cared about safety, each airline would have their own security. They would have to give good service, or else you go to another one. They would have to be safe, and the competition would work itself out. Instead, you just have this bloated government agency of like people with like minimum wage jobs who don't know what they're doing or on some power trip, and they've never caught anyone ever. They're, they're, it's they're, true. I want to have. We're gonna have Ari Shafir on this podcast. This is <clears throat> something he's very vocal about, and I've learned I, a lot from I, him. But it, it, I don't know. It's Something is, is, I mean, everyone knows there's something wrong with it. Like, if you're in the TSA, it's like everyone in America can go, um, basically, like, the crux of 9-11 is you. Like, you let them get through. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, I mean, and they me were really, they were created, at, like, after that, though, right? No, there was, there was uh, I thought that security the TSA and, like, was, was, like, a, a post-9-11 thing. Well, they changed it to Homeland Security uh, after that. Gotcha. Right. Because Homeland sounds so close to Fatherland, which is... Oh, no. that's I'm thinking something <laughs> different. Completely different. Um, but the weather sucks, man. Yeah, it totally man. sucks. Let me tell you, the weather here... <laughs> 
Fuck. I mean, it's so cold. <laughs> Going back to airports, fucking cold, right? So they shut yeah. down airports here in New York all the time, which infuriates me because you know in Minneapolis, plans are getting off the ground. Mm. Yeah, that's true. So I, I well, I was understood. telling, you know, because Tuesday when it was the depth of that terrible storm and Ben, my assistant, was on his way to the airport, he's like, I don't know, man. I, I mean, can they take off in this? You know, and I said, takeoff's easy. It's less friction. It's the landing that's difficult on ice. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good flight. <laughs> Without further ado. Yeah. Our friend Chris from the Lawrence Arms and Sundowner. It's going on. McCoggan. McCoggan. That's one of those names. (laughs) All right. We were just talking about Chris's last name. Um, Chris McCoggan. You may know from Sundowner and Lawrence Arms. How's it going? It's going well, man. Thank you for coming by. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, You just got into town? Uh, Yeah, I got got into town actually on what today is Thursday. So I got into town on Tuesday. Nice. Um, My brother lives here, so I always try to build in, you know, some extra hangout time. Yeah, and it's been a while since you've played here at Sundowner. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah, I think the last time was maybe with Chuck Reagan at the Knitting Factory back when it was still in Manhattan. So that is probably several years ago now. Many years ago. Yes. (laughs) It feels like like it's been a long time. I don't know. Um, It's funny because I've been playing solo for, I guess, what is many, many years now. But because... There's like big gaps and in in uh when I've released records and I haven't done like real proper style touring. Um I guess a lot of time goes by. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, how do you sort of split your time between obviously you had a Sundown record come out pretty recently and right. there's a Lawrence Arms record about to come out. I mean, how do you sort of space things out for you personally so you don't lose your mind? Well, this you know, this time has been unique because I had been writing not so specifically for a Sundowner record, but you know, it started to come together, and and felt compelled to make it. And um, I was kind of been sitting, I'd been sitting on it for a minute, and then the Lawrence Arm stuff kind of started to happen. And suddenly, I was like, "Wow, I'm going to put out two records within like six or seven months of each other, without really trying to time that at all." Um, it just happens to be, I guess, a busy time, like. Because before this has been, I mean, 2010, I think, was the last time I put out anything at all. Okay. So, I mean, there was a Sundowner record, there was a Lawrence Arms EP, and, you know, I mean, that's like three years ago, at least, so. <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> So, I don't know, I, I don't know, man, I just, I, I guess things started to happen, and now I'm like, it, it's nice to be busy, but, um, you know, I think the thing is, like, I've always just tried to make records when they when it felt right as opposed to just kind of cycling through and doing that thing of you know you're in a band so you tour and then you make a record and then you tour again and then you make another record and, right um you know hopefully you know the goal the goal for me was always like oh let's make cool records when it makes sense and then be active you know when that happens definitely <laughs> what do you when you get when you're not active with either band um what do you sort of do just when you're just hanging out well, um, you know, when I was still living in Chicago, I, I did a lot of bartending and, you know, a lot of service industry work over the years, um, as many yes. in the entertainment business um, do to kind of, you know, fill in the gaps and make ends meet. Uh, but right now, I'm just doing this, honestly, and 
Um, having just moved to Portland from Chicago over a year ago, uh, I kind of decided I didn't really want to bartend and do those things anymore and trying to figure out different kinds of way to be creative and work instead. So, I mean, my free time now is trying to be productive in whatever kind of like project based way I can be, you know, creatively. So at the moment, you know, music is, is nice and busy. And, um, uh, I think in the past I was always a little more passive about how this all worked. And, you know, now I've got two records I believe in a lot. And so I'm just trying to be, you know, conscious and like live this thing a little more actively <laughs> definitely that's amazing. yeah i just had you a know. flashback to drinking absinthe at the lnl like on my 24th birthday or something yeah yeah, uh, uh, I, yeah i've had lots of lnl flashbacks over <laughs> over the years um but that's weird <laughs> it's funny because i was listening to i've been listening to a lot of sundowner schedule when we scheduled this and then i didn't even know there was a new lawrence arms record coming out and i got it like five days ago and i've been yeah. listening to it so much but it has been like crushing me it's so dark <laughs> and i can't stop listening to it. every time i listen to it i'm like yeah is it yeah i guess it's dark i don't know um it's certainly got some themes of like isolation and you know big urban area themes yeah um, definitely but i think yeah. also like the idea of like getting older sort of but like sort of still being in this world and how it kind of like yeah. maybe sneaks up on you more than it would if you were like wearing a suit and going into an office every day. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is about getting older. I don't know. It's like, it's funny. Cause I think like I wrote the whole Sundowner record I wrote while I was still living in Chicago. And, you know, I think that record is, I mean, a lot of people have always said to me, Oh man, the Sundowner songs are so sad. And like with this new record, I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't think they're quite so sad. I think it's like, it's just about, it's like a letting go record, moving on record. And then the Lawrence Arms stuff, I wrote, at least the my contributions to the record, I wrote mostly living on the West Coast. And um, I was kind of like zeroing in on the feelings I had in Chicago in a way that I couldn't while I was living there, but that I could kind of like... Uh, express a little more clearly with having some distance from that place um so like i i see the darkness a little bit in that record i still feel like there's i don't know some kind of hopeful glint in there yeah no i, I think that yeah, there is man. i think there is so is it safe to so is it the songs that you predominantly sing on the ones you write and the one brendan yeah okay yeah uh generally that's kind of the the vibe but you know, with this record, there's a little, you know, traditionally we've always like come in with stuff that was like basically done, like songs that were fully fleshed out and written. And this record, there's a little bit of, um, uh, I guess more collaboration than maybe in the past. Uh, there's a couple, a couple songs on the record that were kind of born out of the other person's take a little bit on it. You know, like we tried to really like push stuff back and forth a little more during the writing process with this one so um but yes generally speaking you know i mean the songs i sing i wrote the words for right that makes sense i mean so it's just to me like having go from like something called like butt sweat and tears (laughs) to this like and i'm not saying it's like overly like depressing (laughs) like i love the record i think it's incredible but it does seem like a very different 
perspective, I guess. I mean, yeah. do you feel like you guys went through a lot in the last couple of years, or is it just kind of... Well, you know, I mean, it's been eight years since we made a full length. Yes. And, you know, butt, sweat, and tears is actually, like, something that... It's like a van joke from, like, way back. We were like, oh, someday we'll make a seven-inch, and we'll call it butt, sweat, and tears. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just so happened that, you know... It didn't even matter what songs were on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, a lot has changed in, I think, all of our lives. Certainly from, like, the perspective of being a creative person and and writing. I think, I don't know, just different things start to take your attention. And, and as you get older, you, I don't know. I mean, like, the last record we put out was was at the tail end of, you know, eight years of heavy, heavy touring and, and doing the, doing the punk rock band thing, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah. the, like the cycle and like, um, like I feel really happy that we waited this long to make a new record because I just think as far as, I don't know, like the urgency of it is there in a way that I don't know that it would have been had we just made another record at that time, like after Oak Calcutta. You know, so uh, I, I don't know if there's just a certain I can speak for myself in that uh, there's kind of like, like a clarity of um, of myself as just what I do and how I write with this record that I just trusted in a way that maybe in the past I would have second guessed, you know, like these are the kind of songs I write and that's cool. That's just me, you know? Right. Like the more I, the more I just like followed the thread, I, I feel, I felt like the material was just, you know, would be authentic. And, you know, I mean, I think I feel like all the writing's really strong on the record and, um, but it is hopefully, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, I've always hoped that there was some kind of evolution from record to record, that there's some kind of leap in whatever way. And, um, you know, this Lawrence Arms record, I feel like is is a big leap, but I still feel like it really sounds like our band. So, um, I think that's a that's a good thing that we can sound like us so many years later and not have it feel I don't know like we're retreading something or um, trying to capture something we've already done. Right. You know? Right. No, that's definitely true. But I feel like a lot of bands can't exist outside of that cycle. Like most bands can't not do a record for eight years because people will move on. I feel like you guys in D4, there's like a very small group of bands that can kind of, are so beloved that they can do that. I mean, what's it like kind of gauging the reaction after coming back, like debuting that song on Noisy? Was it like... I mean, I felt like the response has been really good and they're just like the talk has been, you know, just been a lot of talk, which is which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because, I mean, I think... The Lawrence Arms are such a slow-growing band. I mean, when we were touring back in the day, it's like we'd go through a town and there'd be 20 kids, and then a couple months later we'd go back and there'd be 30. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's like it's such a slow climb for us. And and I say that we, like, keep in mind that, like, I mean, this was never... When we started touring, this was never... The idea was never like, oh, we're going to tour and we're going to do support and we're going to get bigger and we're going to, you know we're going to do this in some way that's like calculated. It's like, we just, dude, we were just young wanting to be like out on the highways cruising around. Um, like there was no like real plan, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and, um, 
But I think what's happened is that, I don't know, like being quiet over the last bunch of years has created some mythology of our band um, that I don't know is fully there the last time we were really active. Um, so it's weird. I Sometimes I think like our band got bigger because we didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I think like that's sort of a weirdly common thing, yeah. sort of. It's strange. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I feel like when bands like go on hiatus or not not that you guys did or just kind of fell off, people appreciate it more versus like when they come to town, you're like, oh, I'll see them next time. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess that makes sense in some ways. Yeah. Um, but I also think, I don't know, like, I mean, a lot of a lot of the people who have kind of stuck with us or maybe a bit older now. I don't know if like the themes on this record will will kind of re- people will relate to in a different way than they did old Lawrence Arms records, just based on where they are in their lives. You know, um, like like I think there's a lot of universal themes on this record that it'll be interesting to see how people kind of um, you know relate to them to the songs yeah i mean to me one thing i really liked about it was like this kind of nostalgic element or like looking back and sort of because i feel like i've been doing that a lot just in general Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to hear you guys kind of articulate that i mean do you do you think about those early times a lot or sort of are you kind of more in the present um you know i try not to like think too much about like i think there are some songs that are nostalgic and certainly there's like like i can think of one song really specifically on the record that i wrote that's like that's kind of about about being in like art school and like starting a punk rock band i mean not so specifically but just around that about that time in my life i think a lot of people probably relate to like being sort of college or right post-college age and having very little idea like what's going on or what you're doing or you know how to make a life (laughs) you know um and but i don't know i it's weird like i i try not to think too much about like the past broadly speaking you know it's like i've kind of lived that and i think it's really important to be like mindful of your history and hopefully kind of makes you a better person <laughs> by, yeah. you know, reflecting, having some kind of like, you know, um, mechanism of self-reflection in you that allows you to not make, continue to make the same mistakes in your life. But, um, but I think it's really important to be living in the present moment. And certainly as somebody who tries to write songs, like I'm not trying to write songs I've already written. So, um, like the goal is to to write at a high level moving forward without trying to necessarily always tap into something that I've done well in the past. Now I'm sure there's people who would say like, well, you know, the songs you're writing are very are still the same vibe that you know you've always written in, and um, but to me that's just like that's just operating in the stream of who I am. So it's like that's a good thing to me is that that's there's some identifiable thing there that people connect with that it's like um traceable through the stuff i've written over the years you know 
Yeah, that I think sense. that's that's not an easy easy feat, especially now with so much stuff. And there's an enormous amount of music out yeah. there. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But why did you decide to move to Portland? Um, well, there's a bunch of reasons. I mean, primarily, my girlfriend is from the West Coast and uh, lived in San Francisco for a long time. Grew up in Oregon for a while. Uh, moved to Chicago. For several years and uh, when she was done with graduate school we were kind of just trying to think about what our next you know chapter looked like and I'm very much a Chicago person and I identify very much with that place and I mean like if you were to ask me where I'm from you know I would tell you that I'm from Chicago <laughs> regardless of how long I live somewhere else right I mean it's just and Chicago is one of those kinds of places I think people people are really proud to be from there and um, people are really proud to live there all their lives too and uh, I always thought I would go to college somewhere else I ended up going to college in Chicago I always thought I would live somewhere else and I hadn't and I just felt like it was time to see what it would be like to live somewhere else. Like when you're in a band, you know, I think there's this this perception that like, oh, you're in a band, you travel all the time, you get to know all these places so well. And and the fact is that more often than not, you, you get a real small sliver of a place. You know, you don't really understand what it's like, you know, to live there, to be there in any kind of like real capacity. And I just think it was, it was an experience I was missing in my life. Like what, like the challenges and the perspective you get out of being in a new place where you don't know a lot of people and having to figure it out and your whole landscape, like human landscape changes. Like, like you get so used to seeing like the same people like in the neighborhood or at the coffee shop or whatever. And when those things change, it's kind of rattling. Um, like the unfamiliarity of everything is, you know, that's, I, for me, it was powerful, and um, so I felt like I had nothing to lose by by moving and and seeing what happened. And you know, part of it is that um, you know my girlfriend is uh, kind of directed in what she's doing, and Portland's a really good place for her to continue to figure that out um, as far as like her career stuff. So, and I, I wasn't. There was nothing in Chicago aside from, again, my roots and my family that was really like, I can't leave this job or I can't, whatever. It's right. like, you know? Um, so I was just, it just felt like a good time to make a shift and like experience some like major change in my life. Um, and I actually, if I'm being totally honest, I think it helped me. Like, I don't think this Lawrence Arms record would be, at least from my writing perspective, as um, focused if I'd stayed in Chicago. Like, I attribute a lot of what I feel like is the high-level writing that I did on this record to to moving. Um, I'd imagine there'd be a lot less distractions, too. Like, not people constantly hitting you up to hang out. or Yeah, which I like. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I like to hang out, but, uh, and everything, but, you know, when you live in a place all your life, um, I mean, you know, I know people I went to like grade school with, um, uh, you know, there is a lot of like, 
I guess, distraction, but also just there's no challenge in of uncertainty about anything. You know, it's yeah. like like things are kind of I don't know. They're comfortable. It's just too comfortable. Yeah, honestly, and um, but yeah, Portland is, <laughs> and, and it could have been anywhere. I mean, it didn't. Have, you know, Portland is just a nice place, and and uh, my girlfriend's family lives in Oregon, and you know, it just it made sense. Um, but it's nice having minimal distractions and just being able to try to write and and focus on something that I've been doing for a long time in my life. I mean, I. You know, I guess a lot of people identify with like, oh, I'm a, I'm a punk rock guy. I'm in like a punk rock band or whatever. And, you know, I mean, I am those things, but, but that's not really how I think about myself. You know, it's like, I just want to, I really like to write and I want to write songs and I want to try to write good songs. And, you know, the less like stuff, like exterior, uh, like extracurricular stuff going on, at least right now in my life, the the better. Yeah, <laughs> you totally. Know? It's just like it just give me a chance to like really try to, you know, um, to keep writing. You know, I mean, I it's like I'm gonna put out two records, and like I already feel like excited about writing again. You know, um, so I mean, I don't know. It's been interesting. Well, definitely, especially on the new Sundowner record, like, to me, speaking of, like, sort of coming from that punk world, because to me, it reminded me a lot of Jester Brazil, who I love, yeah. and obviously, Blake is, no one's going to say he doesn't come, isn't super punk mm-hmm. or whatever, but that, to me, like, that, those records have more in common with, like, Wilco than they do, like, Jawbreak or something. I mean, yeah. do you feel like, like, Lawrence Arms fans have reacted well to it, or do you feel like maybe it's, like, a different segment of people you can kind of pull in who might be, like not just not know about fat or epitaph or that yeah. kind of world. I mean, I think my experience so far is that, you know, there's definitely a lot of Lawrence arms fans that really appreciate the Sundowner record. And, um, you know, particularly the new record and the first record I did, uh, those seem to be faves <laughs> of people, <laughs> but, um, but there are people who, who, I think have come across this who have not heard the Lawrence arms or who've kind of found their way to it, maybe through that, but not being like real Lawrence arms fans, so to speak, you right. know, not like the Lawrence arms faithful, <laughs> you know? Um, and I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think the Sundowner record is fairly easy to listen to. Uh, um, and I think it's got, again, like part of, I don't know, when I think about my own writing and just try to like kind of reflect on it a little bit, like I feel like I write stuff that's personal, but also hopefully has, you know, some universal reach. I feel like the Sundowner record was a culmination of a lot of years of figuring out how to write stuff, <laughs> you know, like, um, so I guess what I'm saying is that I, I think the Sundowner record does have appeal outside of like Lawrence Arms fans and particularly this, the newest one is just, I don't know, I guess it felt more realized than the other records. Like, you know, it's become obviously like the acoustic guy, punk rock guy with acoustic guitar has become very popular and, 
um, over the years, and it's kind of easy to do. <laughs> which I think it's hard to do well, but it's hard to do well, but easy to do. And um, which is why it was really important that the Sundowner record was not just an acoustic record for me because I wanted. It's not that I felt like I had something to prove, but but I wanted it to be a fully realized record. Like this is not just about like I can make this record. I'm a guy in a band with acoustic guitar. Like right. it's easy, like you know, it's like like this was some I don't know, like like I was compelled to make this. It's not just that I could. Um, and so I mean, I guess going back is just. Uh, um, you know, I've heard from a lot of people who are Lawrence Arms fans that they really love this record a lot. So, and certainly, like the Jets to Brazil comparison, I think is really, you know, is pretty accurate. I mean, um, like when I talked to Fat Mike about putting out this record, which, you know, I know it doesn't, it's not a typical Fat release, but I mean, Fat's done some stuff here and there that's, right. you know, a little different. Um, but that's what he said to me. He was like, you know, it's uh, it sounds like Jets to Brazil, you know. The songs are good, and um, it's got a cool vibe, and and that's what it reminds me of. And you know, I mean, I've spent, as I'm sure you <laughs> you probably know, it's like I spent a lot of my career doing this, getting compared, you know, to Blake Schwartzenbach. <laughs> so I mean, it's not like it was like super surprising to me. Um, and I know like the way the guitars are and everything like that. I mean, yeah, there's some certainly some influence there. So. Yeah, well, you guys, Blake came on the podcast, and you guys are very different to interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I've never met him. He's so. awesome. I bet. He actually, he bartends in South Brooklyn. Maybe, yeah. So maybe you can stop by. Yeah, maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> was, obviously, Sundowner on Fat, I mean, and Lawrence Armstrong record on Epitaph. I mean, was that like another kind of thing, getting outside of your comfort zone? Obviously, you've been with Fat for a long time. Was that similar to your kind of move? Yeah, I just think, um, you know, I mean, Fat's been really instrumental for the Lawrence Arms, and everyone at Fat is, you know, good friends, and and, and they've been incredible over the years. But, you know, after, like, such a long layoff, you know, I guess it just, yeah, I think I think it was important to kind of see what opportunities were there for us, and... and yeah, make a shift in some way. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, like, if you do, like, the, uh, you know, telling the 15-year-old me that I put out a record on Fat Mike's label and Brett Gerowitz's label, you know? Right, yeah, absolutely. I'd be blown away. But but I try not to get too wrapped up in that, all that said. It's like, whatever, man. Like, we've been doing this a long time, and and I think... uh, you know we're good at what we do and um think the record will do great on epitaph and i think i'm really excited to be working with them i mean it's a really cool opportunity uh, but um yeah it's fun <laughs> it is funny to me it's like okay somehow i'm putting i put out the santana record on fat you know and then the lawrence arms record comes out on epitaph i don't know how that's that impressive i don't know if there's two people like that have done that like at the same time sort of <laughs> It's very impressive. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's... I'm not exactly sure how I pulled that hustle (laughs) off, but... uh. (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, I think that idea, though, is cool. I know we talked about this a little bit. I don't want to harp on it too much, but I feel like it's easy to get caught in, like, patterns 
Or like, I feel like when I moved to New York, like I was living in Ohio and like it was so cheap and I could go to places and know people and it was like comforting. Right. Mm-hmm. And have you always kind of had that perspective or been able to sort of be like, this is too comfortable like how do you sort of know i just feel like i have those ideas and then i'm yeah. like eh, i'll think about it tomorrow and then yeah, it, 10 yeah. years go by oh for sure and i mean like that's you know <clears throat> i can relate to that a lot in my life in chicago i um you know it was actually really hard for me to make the decision to move i'm not like an impulsive person in that way that's just not really who i am like i had to think about this and like calculate about this for a long time <laughs> to make sure that i was you know some people are just like, yeah, I'm going to move to New York, man. All right, I'll figure it out when I get there. And I mean, I kind of envy that that impulsivity in people, but I don't really have it in me so much. So, so it was, I was so comfortable in Chicago all my life. I mean, you know, it's like things felt easy, and I don't know. Like, I, I guess maybe I had thought about like, oh man, I need a change or. I wonder if I move somewhere, but I mean, it was never like, I was never like, oh yeah, like it was never serious. You know, I was always like, just like daydream, like, oh, what if I, right. or what if this or whatever. And, you know, then when you do something, you realize, like when you do something like that, like I'm sure you experienced this too, moving to New York, like, oh, I could move again or I could figure out whatever. Like if something happens and my life changes, then I'll figure it out. Like... If tomorrow you were like, well, actually, Epitaph uh, shelved the Lawrence Arms record and uh, those guys kicked you out of the band. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, sure, be bummed. But, you know, you figure it out, man. Yeah. Like, nothing is so grave that, uh, I don't know. I don't feel like there's anything not, like, after you do something big, again, like, you move across the country or... I don't know. I'm sure people experience this in different ways. Like you go to graduate school or whatever it is. Um, you know, you really, you realize like what you're made of a little bit and that things are generally, um, you know, you can figure a lot of things out faced with, uh, crazy amounts of uncertainty. Yeah. I guess people are really adaptable. It's just, you, know. you kind of forget that. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, sometimes you need a major change in order to to realize that and to like actualize a little bit in yourself. Maybe I should move to Portland. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of fun there. Went, went to Powell's, went to this cool record store. Yeah, Portland's nice. The thing about Portland is like that I had to adjust to coming from the Midwest. Um, I mean, the West Coast is culturally different and uh, and the pace is very different. Yeah. Like it's very, the pace is very different than, than here as well in New York. I mean, things are just, things are just slower. (laughs) Things don't have the same like urgency necessarily as, um, you know, Chicago or New York. Uh, So it's, you have to kind of acclimate a little bit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely did. Um, And it's not to to say that people aren't like ambitious or like excited and, and, doing interesting things they are but but yeah it's just the, the vibe is very different yeah the vibe is very different do you go up to seattle a lot uh i've only been up there once so far my sister lived in seattle for 10 years though and she loved it yeah and then she moved here oh really <laughs> so, um, 
So funny. So yeah, actually, Brendan was supposed to come on here when he played Dan Ozzy put on yeah. that show, and mm-hmm. I think we both got too drunk and yeah. the next morning couldn't make it. Yeah, sounds. <laughs> Believe it or not, not totally insane. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think what else I wanted to talk about. Oh, how was, um, my band actually played Fest oh, last yeah. month. I, I couldn't catch you guys. It's too crazy. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. How was your experience this year? Um, it was good. I was there for like four days. Did you guys fly down? Um, yeah, I actually flew down early because uh, I did the Sundowner show on Friday and the okay. Lawrence Arms didn't play till Sunday. So, um, and my sister now... Who lived in Seattle and then New York City now lives in Jacksonville, Florida. So wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I took a day trip and went and saw her. But um, you know, Fest is one of those things, man. I I just don't know how much I have in me to like grind all day seeing bands. I mean, I know that sounds. I'm just like old, and I like. Um. You know, <laughs> I like, right now I'm like mellow. So doing like the, yeah, like hustling around yeah. trying to see everybody is hard. I I but I mean, it was fun. I had a nice time. Um, I didn't really see a ton of bands. <laughs> I had my old band from Ohio played at seven, eight, and nine years ago, and I hadn't been back to Gainesville in yeah. seven years and it was so surreal and weird yeah. and i remember last time i was there being like so excited to see everyone and being so drunk the whole time mm-hmm. this time i was just like sore and like <laughs> couldn't sleep and like it was so it was such a kind of totally I don't know, it was opposite kind of experience yeah, yeah 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 like being in the exact same situation but but having yeah. like a totally different headspace yeah i i can i can relate <laughs> we did get to go to disney world you did yeah so that's cool. cool yeah um, but it was fun. I mean, the Lawrence Arm show was really fun. And, yeah, I saw some footage. You've been playing some, how many of the new songs you've been playing live? One or two? Or um, I saw something from Punk Rock Bowling, maybe. Yeah, we've, we've, we've played a few here and there, but not like really consistently. Yeah. Are you excited so. to kind of start working those into the set? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, you know, um, I'm really excited about the new songs. I think they'll fit in the set nicely. And I mean, as we kind of like, gear up to do some runs and stuff and and get out there i mean you know i think we're still gonna i mean the idea is that we still will operate generally like the lawrence arms yeah yeah. (laughs) so which means kind of do things the way we want to and not worry too much about how people think we should do them (laughs) you know what i'm saying yeah definitely um, is it hard for you to Obviously, there's more than one guitar part on a lot of the songs. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you sort of arrange this stuff live? Because for me, it's hard to believe. It sounds like you guys have two guitar players, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's, I tried on this record, unlike past records where I really did a lot of layering and extra stuff, I tried to keep it minimal on this one so that I could be playing things that would, um, you know, come across a little more like, actually playing them and not like they were built out of multiple guitars um like a lot of the riffs are like built into the chords and right. i try to do a lot of that like just based on my kind of the style i've developed over time i actually like i'm probably most proud of the guitars on this record out of anything i've ever worked i've ever done so 
as far as being a guitar player. Like, this is, I think, like the coolest stuff I've I've managed to put together as far as like parts and tones. And I mean, I'm really, I don't know, I feel really good about it. Um, but inevitably, there's going to be stuff that's missing uh, because yeah. Right. There are there are like little riffs here built built in here and there, and there's a, some stuff on this record that I could if, even if I could play the riffs um, live like and there's no like rhythm guitar I couldn't even I don't think I could sing over them and play the riffs yeah, yeah, I'm just exactly. not because there's a lot of like cross rhythmic stuff going on and um, I'm just not that talented. <laughs> <laughs> the tones are really great though. Like I remember like when I first when I heard Seventeen or and just like the palm mm-hmm. muted kind of. Uh, verses and stuff it sounds so sounds just so i don't know immediate yeah that's awesome i mean like when we made this record i was living in portland so i went to chicago for whatever it was like two and a half weeks and i basically didn't leave the studio and that's the first time we've ever really i think done a lawrence arms record at least for me where i mean like obviously like brendan had to go to work and like you know there's other things going on in those guys lives because they live there but i was just isolated like working on this so for me it was i was just like hyper focused on all this stuff like making sure these guitars were like awesome you know and you know i mean the record was written before uh we signed with epitaph you know so but when we were making it you know i'm thinking because at that point things had like kind of started to come together and i'm thinking man like brett gerowitz is definitely one of the big influences on my guitar playing like i mean those bad religions records were super influential on the way i play guitar and so it was really important to me to like make sure the guitars were awesome yeah totally (laughs) just because of that it's like you know if 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 his label stamp is going on in this, then it's got to be, you know, it's got to be like next level. Yeah, no, totally. You know. I was curious, just sort of um, as a fan, like how does all like the little samples and all the stuff in between songs or like sort of on the first track, how it kind of starts, like mm-hmm. how do those ideas kind of come out? Is that just one person have it or? Um, well, Brendan was kind of like recording stuff on his phone here and there, like in the streets when you'd see something weird <laughs> and uh you know and he kind of started getting this idea like we should thread this thing together and i you know i mean um i think you know i mean the greatest story ever told was kind of I and mean, we really tried to like kind of thread the whole narrative of the record together and we wanted to do that again in a way that was kind of new and um so he he kind of initially had the idea is like let's use these like sonic clips to start to, you know, tie the songs together through the record. Um, and then we just started recording. I think we were in Vegas and we, we were walking around together just recording weird stuff and like having these weird conversations <laughs> that we were just recording on his phone. And then we like get Matt Allison to like chop them up and, you know, put effects on them or whatever. And so they're all either, they're all basically found materials though, essentially. You know, like, um, most of, most of them I actually, I think are 
recorded on Brendan's phone in some weird moment that he like came across in the streets. Wow, that's cool. I <laughs> so, I really like it. I feel like it really I don't know, makes it feel like a like a there's like an arc to it or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's important to us, to both of us. I mean, we think you know, uh a great record is more than I'll call it more than a collection of songs, you know. Like there should be um they should make each other better. Like I mean, I feel that way about most records I've made. It's like the Sundowner record was I think the Sundowner record is good because the songs play off each other and make each other better. And I mean, I think that's what we were going for with the Lawrence Arms record is really, you know, to find a way to turn it into a real narrative. And I think that goes, I don't know, maybe that goes back to like being young and, and discovering records where like they mattered front to back. You know, I, I realized that, um, there's still people who value that, but I mean, clearly there's been a shift in how people consume music. So, right. uh, you know, so that's probably like, I don't know. I mean, people discover songs now probably more than they discover records, which is totally cool. But I still think that there's value in, yeah. in in a record that's assembled as an album. No, definitely. No. I feel like your guitar style is conducive to that because I feel like there aren't a lot of effects or frills and it's very, like, kind of cohesive throughout. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. It's like, I think there's themes. Like, there's, you know, m- melody themes in in the riffs and stuff. Uh, I don't know. Like, vibes that are really similar. Yeah. You know? Sonic thematics. <laughs> So much loneliness. <laughs> it's funny. It's like, I know, it's like, what a lonely record. I'm not lonely, though. It's weird. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. No, that's good. I feel like that also happens a lot. I feel like a lot of the people you meet, like, I'll I'll be into this record that's super introspective mm-hmm. and dark, and then you'll meet someone, and it's like the goofiest person ever. Right, right. It's like... Yeah. Weird. <laughs> um, yeah, but... Yeah, I don't know. I think um, yeah. To me, both these both these records have uh, feel like pretty actualized in a way that uh, I just hadn't gotten to really ever before. I mean, I, I feel pretty strongly that these are two of the the best projects I've worked on, probably. Yeah, that must be a, a great feeling, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, you know. um, sort of. Looking forward to like 2014, how are you going to be able to sort of tour with both acts? Or I'd imagine Lawrence Arms will be doing kind of obviously more stuff. Since yeah, yeah. Been- I mean, so I think, you know, we're kind of still mapping out how we'll do that. I think we'll probably, you know, the idea is to kind of do, you know, run just like kind of bursts of shows. Um, I think that works well for our lives. Yeah. Um, as, as, as opposed to, you know, really getting out and doing the full U.S., is not going to happen. So, <laughs> so I imagine like we'll do like you know we'll concentrate things like do East Coast and do West Coast and do the Midwest and I'm sure we'll do some festivals and and figure out what other kinds of opportunities are out there and hopefully I can kind of keep working in like doing little solo weekends and and things here and there. Um, you know, I 
No, it's just like it, it works really nicely for me to do like a week is great, man. You know? Um, and I, I don't know. For me, like once you start getting like too much longer, unless it's a really great opportunity, it just seems like, I don't know. I'm just not really sure why anymore. Well, I feel like you guys have kind of like done that. Yeah. Like oh, kind yeah, of for sure. Not, not above it, but like yeah. that. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah. And I just think there's a way to, to do it strategically and like kind of tour smarter as yeah. opposed to harder. <laughs> you know? You know? Um, but, but yeah, so I mean, there'll, there'll definitely be, you know, 2014 will be, um, will be interesting to see like uh, what kinds of things come our way. And I mean, at the very least, you know, obviously we'll be in the places you would have. I think expect us to be <laughs> right, right, right. Have, <laughs> you know, have you ever done any type of like sundowner set and then a Lawrence Arms set, like at like two in one night? Um, you know, back in two thousand seven, we did that this ridiculous tour, which was the Lawrence Arms with American Steel, okay, and the Falcon, which was Brendan's project at the time, played, and so did Sundowner, okay, and it was like this. I mean, completely self obsessed. <laughs> you know bill every night um so i think that's the last time we've done we did something like that where it's like sundowners opening for the lawrence arms i mean how ridiculous is that it's like you gotta be kidding me (laughs) that's amazing i really quickly before we stop i wanted to talk to you about bartending a little bit yeah um what's sort of the most annoying thing that kind of customers can do to a bartender Having spent a lot oh, of time, man. and also, um, do you watch the show Bar Rescue? I have not seen Bar Rescue. You got to watch it. But it sounds like something I should. I mean, see. you're like creating these great records. I'm sure you're not like watching reality <laughs> TV all day like I am. But it's a pretty good show. Um, I mean, so the last bartending job I had was at the Ginger Man Tavern in Chicago, which is next to the Metro on Clark Street, and basically right across the street from Wrigley Field, which is also the neighborhood I grew up in. And um, I worked there for like two years or something before we moved. So I dealt with like a really special kind of bar patron, which is the Cubs fan. Okay. <laughs> which is just the uh, man, like a real God. I'm sure you can imagine what that is is like, roughly. But um it's a lot of like dude like like Midwest Chicago dudes yelling at me. Like, hey, chief, hey, boss, hey, guy, you know, I need like 50 Bud Lights right now, <laughs> you know, and the Ginger Man is like a, a neighborhood neighborhood dive bar. I mean, it's been there forever and it's more of like a, I mean, I guess like, I don't know, like rock and roll and, and uh, kind of just like old and, you know, neighborhood bar. It's been there forever. But uh, so... Those were like particularly horrible, but you know, I mean, the thing is, is like, this is what bartenders say. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure, if like you're a bartender and you've seen like the the write ups on the internet about what bartenders say, it's like usually they're right. pretty they're pretty close. You know, it's like it's like don't ask a bartender to like, oh hey, why don't you just make me your favorite drink? You know, it's like <laughs> like I. I have no interest in like sp- expending any energy thinking about what you might want to drink. Right, you know? right. Um, 
I mean, that's that's horrible. I mean, the thing I think bartenders hate like any sort of like obviously like any sort of like whistling um, or like waving your your cash around at them. Like if you're like four deep at a bar and you're like waving your twenty dollar bill back there, it's like it's just going to take longer to right, get served. Right. You know, it's like usually like patience and nice. You know, uh, being nice go a long way, man. To, to having a bartender like you. <laughs> Do you ever get into like, I feel like once in a while I get dragged to like these fancy like mixologist mm-hmm. type places where it's like it's this $14 drink that yeah. just like tastes like sugar to me. Right, right. Do you get into into that side of it at all? No, I mean the Ginger Man is like a real like beer and shop yeah. bar. Um, and, you know, Chicago, I mean Chicago certainly has its share of like craft cocktail bars now because that's become very popular. Um, and I live in Portland where, believe it or not, they have... Uh, <laughs> I believe it. They have uh, crazy craft cocktail bars, but um, uh, yeah, not really my thing, man. Yeah, I appreciate. Hey, you know, I appreciate well-made things. I think, I think that that's cool. Um, but you know, obviously, like some of the, some of these types of uh, places or bartenders probably take things a little seriously. Yeah, <laughs> <for me>. yeah, <laughs> I totally agree. Have you thought about? bartending just like once in a while in portland or um i actually bartended last summer oh yeah um for a couple months um i met some people through a couple of like my i guess music friends in portland and and bartended for a few months and then the sundown record came out and i was anticipating all this stuff happening and i just you know i just i got burned out honestly um i you know part of moving was really making a conscious decision to try to do things differently. And, um, you know, I, you know, I, I loved bartending at the ginger man. It was, it was awesome. And I worked for my friends. It was the neighborhood I grew up in. I, you know, but you know, you also hit a point after a while where you're like, man, I'm working at the bar in the neighborhood I grew up in. I know everybody who comes in here, and this is awesome, but I just think it's time to do something different, man. Yeah. You know, and, and bartending is certainly a great way to like, I mean, hey, there's people who want to bartend as, you know, uh, like not not just to get to the next thing, but who really enjoy it and make a career of it. And that's great, man. I'm, I think that's awesome. But ultimately... That's not me, man. Yeah. I, uh, and it's not like, oh, I aspire to something so much better. It's not that. I just, you know, I got tired of all the late nights, man. And I just, and it just started to wear on me. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you make some great money bartending, which is awesome. But I don't know. I think the best thing I saw in like one of those articles was someone was like, don't assume I'm an idiot because I'm a bartender. Yeah, right, a lot exactly. of us went to college. Yeah, like, totally. <laughs> Totally, man. Um, yeah, and, or like, I don't know. Like the worst thing was always like, you get a guy who comes up and he's like, hey, let me get this. And you're like, okay. And you start making it. And then you put it, you, you know, you finish the drink, you, you set it down in front of him. And he's like, oh, I need this too. And you're like, okay. And you make it and you're like, all right, here you go, man. It's going to be 10 bucks. And he's like, oh, no, wait, I also need... You know, it's like, dude, get your order together, <laughs> get your shit straight, and tell me what you want so right. I can, like, 
You know, you're like wasting everybody's time here. Yeah, totally. You know, that was like one of the that was always like one of the worst things. Like, oh, dude, you're killing me. Now you want a mojito on top of this? <laughs> it's like, first of all, you're at the Ginger Man, so I can't make you that. Like, believe it or not, we don't have fresh mint. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, what if someone doesn't tip you? Yeah. Then, but they're getting another drink. Do you just? I guess you still have to take their order, or you just like wait till there's no one else. I mean, the Ginger Man's a special place, okay. so you could. I mean. Like I had a guy, like dog whistle at me once when it was Whoa. crowded, right? And I like, and I'm a nice guy, man. I, um, you know, I, I, I like I was you know, hustle work very efficiently. I, you know, tried to be in a good mood back there or whatever. But he like dog whistled at me. I literally went up to him. I was like, dude, um, you can't do that. And I, I mean, I said it in a way that was like really, actually, I was like angry. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you like really like dog whistling at me as if I'm like going to come over here and be like, oh, hey, yeah, what do you need? Right, like, right. <laughs> you know, but people also like with cards now, with credit cards, like people, you know, like the Ginger Man was a cash only bar for a long, long time. And then they like switched over. But I don't think people know how to tip bartenders on credit cards, generally speaking. Um. <laughs> I guess I don't either because I never use I never open a tab because I'm always think I'll forget. Yeah, um, which is what do you do? You do twenty percent? You do a dollar a drink? Or is well, it, I mean, it kind of it probably depends. I mean, I think I generally think a dollar a drink is probably more um, accurate. Okay, you know, yeah. Because I mean, I mean, think about it in terms of the way like how you're being served, I mean, right? Um, but. I mean, I also, yeah, so I don't know if 20% necessarily always does it. I mean, yeah, I, guess, I guess it depends on what kind of, that's a good point. You know, I get, you get, you kind of, then you start getting into like, you know, um, specific situational stuff. Right. Where, but, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Have you ever thought about opening your own bar or anything like that? Um, you know, it's just never really something I wanted. Yeah. I just don't think that, I'm actually a morning person. Somehow I got into, you know, rock and roll and entertainment. So, you know, you go out on tour and clearly mornings are right. <laughs> generally, uh, you know, um, not to be found so much. But I don't really want to work at night. Yeah. Unless I'm doing this, to be honest. Like, I, you know. Um, so, so, no, I don't think I want to own my own bar. <laughs> The Law and Science. What's the new record called again? New record's called Metropole. It is out now, and it is fucking awesome, and you should get it. It's really, it's really, really great. I've and if you don't listen to the Law and Science, like, work your way backwards. Like, yeah. start with that and then just do it, because they're all so... All the, the EP's great. Uh, everything they've done is great. They're all of the, you know, Brendan has up in the, the Falcon. All, all their side projects are great. Those dudes are just, um, they don't put out a ton of stuff, especially Lawrence Arms, but I feel like it's all quality. It's like the Descendants. They don't put out many records, but they're always damn good. Yes, I agree. Ridiculous. If you want to send us a message, we've got some delightful messages from people on Facebook.com slash going off track. If you like what you hear and you're like, you know what? I want to give these guys some money so that they can keep the show going. Uh, like we say every week, a podcast is a wonderful way to break even. You can go to goingofftrack.com, click on the donate button, and it will take you to a page where you can 
Throw some dollar dollar bills, y'all, right in there, or whatever currency you have. We're getting yes. some lovely emails from our fans from abroad. And what else? Oh, Twitter. Twitter. We're on Twitter. Um, iTunes. Leave us a review. Also, uh, we should say we're doing a live podcast. Yes. Which will probably hopefully be after this air. And we will have <clears throat> dancing girls. We will have dancing girls. Dance. And strippers. It will also be our 100th episode. 100 of episodes of Going Off Track. And they it, said it couldn't be done. They did. Open bar. <laughs> it will not be an open bar. <laughs> it will not bar. be an open bar. <laughs> Do not show up thinking it's going to be an open bar. Um, uh, but maybe you can have one of Brad's drink tickets. It will be super nice. It will be at Union Hall on February 22nd at 8 o'clock. And uh, we have some really... Cool guests that are going to be announced soon. Some even confirmed. Some even, some, one just got confirmed today. <laughs> All right, see you next week.